The following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Comey Snake. Welcome back to Escape from New York Minute, where we celebrate and analyze the dystopian classic one minute at a time. I'm Eric Deutsch. And I am Molly Balin. And today we are talking about minute three, uh, when we are still in the opening credits. But the good news is the opening credits end today. So our first episode next week will actually be something happening. Uh, Yes. Hallelujah. (laughs) We we almost survived this this. Very tough first week. Uh, minute three starts with our good buddy, our best friend, our our our, our number one fan, production designer Joe Alves, Alvis, Alvis, still on the screen as part of the credits. And uh, as a little teaser for what's going to happen next week, the end of this minute is not a credit. It just says 1988. Mm, I wonder what that means. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, so uh, we, we discussed our best pal Joe uh, yesterday. So the first credit to pop up today is Todd Ramsey. He's the film editor uh, and uh, worked on some stuff throughout his career. The, the ones of note I pulled out, uh, The Thing. So another John Carpenter movie, the original Star Trek from uh, back in late 70s, whenever that came out. And a movie that I had a, a, a very interesting relationship with called DEFCON 4. Molly, mm. are you familiar with the movie DEFCON 4? I have heard of it, but I've never seen it. So this was a movie that, for some reason, when I was a kid and I would go into my local mom-and-pop video rental store, I would always see the case there. And the case intrigued me. I was like... DEFCON 4, it's some post-apocalyptic nuclear holocaust-type movie. The cover looks cool. It's got a wacky, it's got a weird name. I wonder what's going on in that movie. And I, and I never took it out. And then finally, when it was in my 20s, I finally rented it and I watched it. And the movie was just god-awful. Oh. Uh, I, I had, you know, 10 years I'd been looking forward to finally watching this movie. And it was absolutely horrible. That's it. That's the story. The movie sucked. See, I was, like, was curious about it because yeah. I think... Maybe we all saw that movie on the shelf in our, <laughs> in our, see, children, there was a time when we used to have these things called blockbusters or local <laughs> video stores. And there was like a mean guy who worked at the, the counter and you had to go and you had to pay your $4 there and you would get a movie and you would have to give it back. And then you got a bunch of late fees because it's a pain in the ass to bring and it you back. Had to rewind. <laughs> Don't forget you had to rewind. Oh, be kind of rewind. Rewind the tape. Yes, yes. I felt like we were pretty good about that. Not so much giving the tape back, but rewinding. We were pretty good. <laughs> oh, my parents <laughs> bought the machine that only rewinded. Oh, really? Yes. Man, cutting edge. Yeah, yeah. well, we were told that, you know, the rewind function is the first function to break on the VCR. So my parents went out and got a, a rewinding machine. Specifically, it only performed one function. Rewound your VHS tapes. Wow. Wow. That's, I, I appreciate that. That's awesome. We <laughs> did not do that. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you mentioned Blockbuster there. Uh, as we record this today, uh, I saw an article online that one of the two remaining Blockbusters on the planet is closing. 
It was in Australia. And so, Molly, you live not too far from what will be soon the last remaining blockbuster on the planet. It is in Oregon. Oh, really? Where yes. in Oregon is it? Oh, uh, somewhere. I'll have to look that up. <laughs> I don't remember. That's oh, really ben. funny. Bend, Oregon. Oh, it's in Bend. Okay. So uh, I'm in Portland, Oregon. So that's about like four hours or so from me. So, if, ah. uh, you know, but hey, Bend is Bend is kind of bougie. So I don't know if you're, you've got cash and you're skiing and you want to go to a blockbuster. That's awesome. Oh my gosh. So uh, credit land, uh, we move into the actual music credit here too. After the uh, the editing credit, we move on from Todd. Music by John Carpenter in association with Alan Howarth. And uh, you did some excellent research about the music last minute and uh, good stuff with the the main title and soundtrack. Uh, my two cents about that is this is my like two degrees of fame from John Carpenter, but uh, my dad is from Louisville, Kentucky originally, and John Carpenter uh, lived in Bowling Green, Kentucky, and my dad went to school in Bowling Green, Kentucky, and so his roommate is was a cousin to John Carpenter, and so John Carpenter comes from a musical family, so I hear that music is genetic, and maybe it's the case for him, because his dad was the basically like the director of uh, the music department at the university there. And so that's kind of what, you know, the family was kind of there for was, was music. So um, my dad um, being a, a roommate to his cousin um, hung out with John and like did like, I guess roadied for him once while he played a gig. So this is like a, the, the little bit of time right before he went to uh, film school in California, but he did a little bit of stint. I guess everybody just Maybe they just were drinking a lot or something because my dad kind of did the same thing. Where he did a really small stint at Bowling Green and then he bugged out and he ended up going to the Air Force. So that's a whole other story. But anywho, they had a brief period of time where uh, my dad was hanging out and, and chilling with John Carpenter and um, John was doing music. And um, I guess John Carpenter's dad was kind of kooky and drove a Porsche and um, was a little absent-minded, I guess, like trashed a few violins and like really expensive ones because he would like put on the hood of the Porsche and then he'd drive off and then you know, the violin would fall off. But that's my, um, my my brush with John Carpenter fame. So that's that would be considered, what, one degree of separation? Somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. But I, I grew up actually, and I didn't actually know the story until very recently. My dad gave me the, the lowdown. But I grew up hearing that, like, oh, my dad knows John Carpenter. But it was like a, a brief, like they were 20 years old and probably got right. drunk together. Um, and probably other things, too. So he still has him on speed dial and we can get him on the show, though. Right, right. That was the next question of like, I know you haven't talked to him for 50 years, but like you can just sort of call him up, right? And be like, hey, remember me from back in the day? No, it's interesting you said uh, that he was a roadie for some of uh, the shows. I forgot to mention yesterday that if you you can Google, um, you go to YouTube and you Google John Carpenter Escape from New York theme live, there's lots of YouTube videos of him playing. He actually tours and he does concerts of all of his movie music and he usually opens with the escape from new york theme song so if you want to see him play that live go on youtube it's all over the place oh that's awesome that's super cool that's how notable it is it's it's a hell of a, it's a hell of an opener uh so after we move on from music land we go into uh, associate producer credit barry bernardi uh and barry's got a few interesting highlights he is also Amongst the John Carpenter posse. Um, so he was on The Fog, Halloween 2 and 3, Christine, Starman. And then there was a couple that I just thought were kind of like 
Teehee, kind of awesome, The Devil's Advocate, which I have a soft spot in my heart oh, for. Oh, I've seen that movie, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo. <laughs> Not seen that one. No, I haven't either, but I just, like, I get a kick out of it in general. I think I'm, well, actually, I think I've seen parts of it. I don't know that I've made it all the way through, though. Yeah, I, I, I made note of, uh, I'm not a, a fan of his, but I made note uh, looking at IMDb that uh, this Barry Bernardi fellow uh, has produced a lot of Adam Sandler's movies. Yeah, so that's an interesting mix. <laughs> yeah, John Carpenter to Adam Sandler. It's a, it's a career. What can you do? Sure, um, sure. But yeah, I, I thought it was an interesting mix of, of credits. And then we get to... Uh, Possibly, this is just my opinion, uh, but after the director, to me, the, the second most important credit to me on movies, the written by. We get written by John Carpenter and uh, Nick Castle. So Nick Castle, pretty good career for him. He directed The Last Starfighter. He wrote the story for the movie Hook. Uh, but to John Carpenter fans, most importantly, he played Michael Myers in the original Halloween. Which so is so guy, unsettling. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so, you know, he, he had the John Carpenter connection in a totally different way. You know, I, I imagine that this is probably pretty common in Hollywood with the the, the life, the, the life of a script uh, from first draft to the movie getting completed. This, this script has a very interesting history. Carpenter wrote the draft, the first draft of the script in 1974, and he wrote it as a reaction to Watergate with the focus of the whole nation feeling you know, not particularly positive about uh, President Nixon and he everyone being cynicism about, you know, the president as a whole. He was inspired by the movie Death Wish uh, that, you know, there was a sense of New York as almost like a jungle. Mm. Uh, he wanted to make a science fiction film in that vein. The problem was he couldn't get anyone to make it, that the studios thought it was too dark. It was too violent. It was too weird. He set it aside. Years later, he was hired by our, our friends Avco, Embassy Avco Productions, to make uh, the movie The Philadelphia Experiment. He was having a lot of trouble with that, so he left that, and he came back to Escape from New York. So this is now six years later. He felt, though, that something was missing, and he, and he, and he, and he said it was a straight action film, and he needed something more from it than just a straight action film. He's, he said, this is going to be in New York. Uh, I need the sort of weird humor that New Yorkers of that time, and frankly, I'm a New Yorker of this time as well, uh, hmm. would expect. So he brought his buddy, Nick Castle, who had played Michael Myers in. They had gone to USC film school together. Castle, he said, added the sense of humor that he felt the movie needed. He he added the cast, the character of Cabby. Cabby was not in that initial draft. With the addition of Cabby, he added, of course, the use of the American Bandstand song, which we'll get into when it pops up. But that adds a lot of humor uh, to this movie and is, plays a pretty, pretty big role at the climax of the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, he added the Broadway show, uh, a scene I definitely cannot wait to discuss. Nick Castle also came up with the ending as well, uh, hmm. where the American Bandstand theme does indeed play such a big role. Nick Castle was, was you know, not just someone there sort of uh, on the fringes helping John out. He, he was a major contributor to the script. That's cool. I, I, he's got such an interesting background. He has a, an Academy Award as well. Um, he was a cinematographer for uh, the live action short film, The Resurrection of Bronco Billy, which is cool, too. And he's got a screenwriting credit for Hook. So there's uh, there's quite a few Spielberg connections within this this crew as well. The other thing I thought was interesting is he only got paid $25 a day for playing Michael Myers in the original Halloween. Really? Mm-hmm. And these guys were old film school buddies. 
Yeah. Uh, I guess I guess Halloween had a low budget. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know if they're just like, oh, you're just kind of like being, you're just standing around being creepy, so <laughs> we're not going to pay you very well. No one knows who you are, and you're wearing a mask, so uh, take your $25 and be happy. I know, it's like, you get all the craft services you want, but here's your $25, <laughs> that's it. Uh, the other thing that I thought was kind of interesting is that he recorded all the Michael Myers breathing sounds in the 2018 Halloween <laughs> So that's him. Ah, okay. So he's he <laughs> probably too old to reprise the physical action, but uh, they kept his voice acting for that. Yeah, I think he does a, a physical cameo, but uh, yeah, it's it's mostly auditory. Uh, then we move on to our producer. This is Larry Franco. Uh, very long career in Hollywood. I like a lot of the people in this movie, a lot of work with Sean Carpenter. But other than that, also Batman Begins, Jumanji, Mars Attacks, Sleepy Hollow, Hulk, Jurassic Park 3, uh, unfortunately the Independence Day sequel. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Bless uh, your also- heart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so rarely have been have I been so disappointed in a sequel. Uh, I'll leave that for the Independence Day Minute, guys. <laughs> uh, he also did some second unit directing on this movie, so he was more than a producer on this movie. Here's a here's a little familial connection. He was married to Kurt Russell's sister, and he is the father of any baseball fans out there, particularly my fellow Mets fans. He is Matt Franco's dad. Matt Franco, most famous for uh, delivering a pinch hit walk-off single off of Mariano Rivera in a Mets-Yankees game uh, back in the 90s with two outs in the bottom of the ninth inning. Interesting. So, uh, I mean, that's really the end of the credits. We already talked about Deborah Hill, producer. We already talked about John Carpenter directing it, obviously. We get this little teaser here uh, where it says 1988, and we will not find out until next week exactly what's going on in 1988 in this movie. But I can tell you what was going on in 1998 uh, with me, Molly, because what a what a uh, <laughs> a banner year it was in the Eric Deutsch biography that year. I just thought I would reminisce about a few highlights of my life from 1988. I was Please in junior do. high school then. Yes, I was in junior high school. Very you know exciting time for a young lad. I asked a girl out for the first time that year. Oh! In, in fact, I asked two different girls out that year, and they both said no. Oh, yeah. so Eric! I, I did not get my <laughs> girlfriend that year i only asked my first girls out that year speaking of the mets that's also the year the mets blew it in the playoffs against the dodgers they had beaten them 10 out of 11 times during the regular season and proceeded to lose in seven games in the national league championship series and uh, 13 year old me was devastated and however the one good thing that happened to me that year it was my last summer at day camp as a camper the following summer i was a cit so it was the last year that i had to do what i was told and i and i uh, wasn't part of the establishment so where did you go to day camp at? By that point in my life, I went to a camp called Camp Pelican. Played baseball, football, went bowling, went swimming. I'm a sports camp mostly. Cool, cool. I always wanted to go to camp. My cousins went to camp. Um, I did a Girl Scout camp. Actually, speaking of 1988, it probably would have been this year now that I'm thinking about it. And I remember it being good because they actually put me in with the older kids because all the other kids who were my age like cried for their parents and it was like a thing and I was the only one who was like like I'm good I'm I'm good to be away from family for the day and I just was like like not a problem I do remember the pancakes were kind of crazy though and I remember being actually offended because they had these like I don't did you ever have 
the pancake batter. It almost looks like it was in milk cartons. And they like yes. like pre-made. I remember that being just like completely apocryphal. And I was just like horrified. That's like <laughs> my that's my 1988 Girl Scout camp thing. You guys, I mean, look, man, like just just make it like with a mix. Seriously. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't take that much effort. Like bring the eggs and the milk. Just like, just do it for real. Don't shake it up in the carton. It's messed up. Yeah. That was, that was the one appalling thing that, you know, we didn't do it that way at home. And I was just like, Oh my God, I don't even know what you guys are running here. So I was nine years old in 1988. I just remember it really sucking living in North Dakota at the time um, because it's really snowy and cold. And uh, I actually was living in the Pacific Northwest. I was in Washington State before that, so I think my um, considering my my heritage, I should be really cold hardy, and I'm really not. It's kind of a bummer. Um, <laughs> but I just remember being hauled to the Great North and being like, "No, no, you really should take me back." I think you and I had a, a similar year. Although I do appreciate that you were a bold and zesty gentleman to be asking the ladies out and, and cramping <laughs> up on that. So, like, props to you for for having balls as a young man and and going for it. Yeah, yeah, I, I, it, it was tough. It was tough. Had to become a man. <laughs> the year I became a teenager, actually. So there you go. There. Oh, seriously. Yeah. There you go. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, so I think uh, you got anything else credits-wise? Otherwise, I think we have we have survived the opening credits. Oh my God, we did it! Yay! Uh, yes, yes. No, that's that's all I've got. Alrighty. Um, Woo. Woo! All right. Well, thank you guys for coming and checking out minute three and hanging in for credits. You can follow us on Twitter at NYMinutePod. Uh, also can check out the Facebook group, Brains Library, the Escape from New York Minute Hangout. Uh, please do rate and review us on iTunes. For the next time, be on time, stay out of the sewers, and we'll meet you on the other side of the wall.